This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, uh, we have a ton of stuff to do. So for those of you who are brand new, my name is Ron, and uh, I'm on the teaching team here. And for the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to be guiding us through some things that will be really helpful. Uh, I, I apologize up front. We're going to cover stuff in a hurry. So you got, you, if you're just getting your first coffee or caffeine, you might want to swig it right now, right? So that you can stay up to speed. Um, we're going to get challenged with some really important stuff. And if there's ever a time that we were just sort of peeling back the onion and getting all the way down to the heart of what Jesus envisioned when he envisioned the church. Well, this morning, we're going to do that. So we're going to peel the layers down rather rapidly. And if you haven't been here, if this is your first time, uh, this is the last, this is the fourth teaching in a whole series of teachings that we're calling One Voice. We can do more together, and it's really about where we are headed as a church with uh, the next generation. Most churches, or maybe many of them, would call it children's and youth ministry. We're choosing to call it next gen. So, the next generation, I know we all care about. So, if you haven't seen the first three in this series, I would advise you, you could go to our website, pull it up online, and uh, you can view those because this is sort of the binding all that stuff together. And one of the things that we've learned along the way is that next gen is going to be one of the five key strategies in our church. Now, I had somebody ask me the other day, well, is this going to be the main strategy of our church? And the answer to that is no. If you have a pie and you cut it into five pieces, each piece should get about 20% of the pie. That's the idea. And all five of these are huge, and they are strategically important for the mission that God has called us to. And so uh, NextGen is just one of those. If you were here in October, we unveiled community groups, and that's one of four different kinds of groups that eventually we will have in our church. So groups is another one of those key strategies. And about 350 of you adults all said, put me in, coach. I want to be in a group. Uh, And now those groups are functioning. So this is the second of our key strategies. And over the course of the next year, we'll be unveiling the other three strategies. Um, And that's why we have been saying for quite a while, we are using these two years to set up the coming 20 years. And we have been challenging a paradigm that many of us probably have by default. I know I did on the way in, and that is when it comes to the next generation, it's really the responsibility of the parents, the teachers at school, and whoever works in our children's ministry, it's their job. And anything I do is more of a bonus. But Here's the strategy and the paradigm that we want to sow across the face of our church. It's actually everyone's responsibility to love and empower the next generation. So you might ask yourself a couple of questions. What am I doing to actually express my love to the coming generation? And if you come over the blank, 
it means, okay, I've got something to work on. If you're like me and you come up with some things, then you then it sort of leads to the next question, how could I do that better? And what am I currently doing to actually empower the coming generation? And so those are the things that we've been pressing into. Now, we, we also talked about the concept of the flywheel. And if we thought about our next-gen strategies as a large, giant flywheel that's heavy and hard to push, and we just started pushing on it and started pushing on it and started pushing on it, and we pushed on it continuously, eventually that flywheel would begin to spin and it would start to pick up momentum. And the last two Sundays, we have talked about six things that if we do them over time and consistently do them, that they will give shape to the lives of the coming generation. And so these are the six things that done over time will actually shape their lives. And the first one was just time, spending time with the coming generation. Because as we spend time with them, we noted that every child is a historian and every child is writing the story of his or her own life. And as we spend time with them and we do it over time, we help them write a great story, a great history of their life. The second thing we looked at was words. As we're spending time with them, if we choose our words carefully, then wrapped up in our words are perspectives about life that actually help them choose a good direction in life. And we don't have to wait until they've chosen a wrong direction and then try to take remedial efforts. But actually, as we push on that flywheel with our words day after day, and our words build them up and help them think and analyze things strategically, they become the backdrop against which they make all the decisions of their life and it helps them get direction. And then we talked about love. And as we express love to them over time, consistent love, when they're good and when they're not so good, maybe especially when they're not so good, we end up communicating to them worth, that they actually belong here and they belong in our hearts and that they are worthy of love. And then we noted every child needs to have a sense of belonging, that they have a tribe. And actually across the face of all this teaching, we've been talking about something that, that you have read about and heard about, not just at church, but you've actually heard it lots of different places. It takes a what? A village. Every child needs to know they have a village that they belong to, that there's a whole crowd of people that are in their corner and for them and available to them. And so tribes over time gives them this wonderful sense of belonging and stories. Your story, your parents' story, their parents' story, stories from the Bible, even imaginary stories. Stories have a way of lighting up all human beings, and I think most especially kids. And stories over time give them perspective in life. So they don't live with the wrong expectations and perspectives. And then last of all, fun over time gives them a sense of connection. And the challenge that we issued is, can you think of a single person you feel really connected to that you haven't played with? Probably not. 
because it's actually fun over time that gives us the sense of connection. Now, here's what you need to know. We are shaping our next-gen strategies around these six investments. Every time someone comes to our church and, and, and is taken to one of our next-gen classrooms, we're going to be pushing the flywheel in all six of those directions. We're going to spend time with them. We're going to tell stories to them. We're, we're going to have fun with them. We're going to do all six, and not one person. There will be different people that will be doing each of those things because different people are good at different things. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But those are the six investments that we're going to be making into the coming generation to help shape their lives. So today, that's all review. Now today, we're going to press into a prayer that Jesus prayed the night before he knew he was going to be crucified. It was his last prayer. And you know, when it's your last prayer, and you're God on the earth, and you know that tomorrow you're dying, the prayer is pretty important. We're going to press into that, because in this prayer, and then as one of his closest followers, Paul, begins to unveil what that prayer looks like in real life, we begin to discover what is on the inside of the church that Jesus envisioned What is the real secret sauce? What is the thing that makes it dynamic? What is the thing that makes it infectious? What is is it that made this thing, this kingdom that Jesus came to start, what is it that made it spread from 12 people isolated in a tiny country in the Middle East to become the largest enterprise across the face of the world? with outlets in every country in the world, multiple outlets in every culture in the world. Ha! Well, here's the prayer that Jesus prayed. He said, I'm praying not only for those, these disciples, the 12 guys at the table with him when he made this prayer, but also, catch this, for all who will ever believe in me. Guess what? In the last prayer that Jesus prayed On planet earth, he prayed for you. Literally, he prayed for you. Because you and I are people who believe in Jesus because of the message that those 12 men began to carry across the face of the earth. And Jesus said, I pray that they will all be one. Now, I don't know about you, but when I I first read that, and pretty much my whole life, I have to admit that in my mind, I saw all of Jesus' followers around a campfire singing Kumbaya. Right? Oh, we love each other. This is so good. This is so wonderful, and so forth. Did you know that's not actually what Jesus was teaching there? It's included in that. Maybe not the Kumbaya thing, but it's included in that. But what Jesus was actually talking about wasn't so much about warm, fuzzy feelings that you and I would have for each other. It was about how we would function together as a unit of people. He was talking about singleness of purpose and singleness of mind and alignment around strategies because of what he goes to next. He says, 
just as you and I are one. Do you really think the unity between Jesus and his Father, and we'll throw the Holy Spirit in there as the rest of the Godhead, do you really think they sit around a campfire in heaven singing Kumbaya? Is that what you think unites them? I don't think so. Jesus said over and over again, the works that I do are the works my Father has sent me to do. The words that I speak are not my own. They are the words that my Father tells me to speak. Because long before Jesus left heaven and came to earth, He and the Father and the Holy Spirit came up with a strategy that would involve Jesus coming to earth. That would involve growing up in the home of Joseph and Mary. That would involve a three-year ministry. That would involve healing people. That would involve teaching people. That would involve raising people from the dead. That eventually would include him being crucified and then him being resurrected and then empowering the 12 of his closest followers to carry this message to the rest of the world. It was all a strategy for how to rescue and redeem people like you and me. Broken people. And Jesus said, I hope that these 12 guys and everyone who comes to believe in me through their message will have that same sort of unity around this singleness of mission to rescue and redeem broken people like you and me. He said, Father, I pray that they will be one around that mission. And he goes on to explain, you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be one in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Now, centuries later, Margaret Mead, the Prime Minister of England, reflecting back on that experience and that knowledge and other points of history, said this, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And that day, Jesus prayed for those 12 guys and for you and me. And he said, be committed and be thoughtful and be unified around the the singleness of mission. And I will make sure you change the world. In the last 2,000 years, the church has been doing that across the face of the world. What about this church? Well, last week I stood in the lobby with a couple that currently live in Cambridge, England, but 10 years ago they lived in Petaluma, California. They were originally from South Africa, so they've had a very interesting journey from South Africa to Petaluma and from Petaluma to Cambridge, England. And I just have to tell you a little bit of their story because as I stood with them in the lobby, they couldn't wait to tell me a piece of their story. And they said, hello, is that better? They said, 
the five years that we spent at New Life changed our entire lives. We will never look at God the same again. We will never look at Jesus the same again. We will never look at the church the same again. We will never look at other people the same again. And we will never look at our world the same again because we are on mission with Jesus to rescue and redeem the world, the broken people of our world. They said, so we're part of a church in Cambridge, And somebody came and said, hey, there's a little town up the road called Ely. And it's a town that needs a church that's on mission to rescue and redeem the world. Anybody here want to go help start a church there? And they said, we volunteered immediately because we reflected back to the days when we were part of a brand new church, which New Life was in those days. And what we learned and how vibrant our faith was. And we said, yeah, we're in. And then we got in with this small group of people and realized we're the only people who have ever helped start a church. And they said, how did you do it? And they they said, we just started telling them stuff. We did it in New Life. And now God is using the influence of New Life to start a church in Northern England. What do you think of that? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's how God works. I want to tell you another story. I know. You want to pronounce that? Coopoli is actually how you say that. That's a town in Southern India. And there is a brand new church in that town where there was not a church three years ago. And there's a church in that town with nearly a hundred people going to it now. And it is there because New Life paid the salary, the full salary of their pastor for three years to go there and start a church. How about that? And the story only gets better. Okay? Last week, we sent a check to southern India. And in the coming two weeks... They will make the final payment on the piece of property where where the church building is that they're currently renting and they already have set aside money to add a whole new room onto the side of that church because they have outgrown the building where they are and they're making room for more people and we have challenged other churches to come and join with us and in two weeks they they will receive the deed for that entire property fully paid. How about that? It just is a picture, a slice of what God does when you and I are generous. When you and I say, I want to get in the game. I want to be in the game. I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a participator. And we're going to show you how that all works as we get in the game. Because here's the truth. When we get this right, this idea of being one around the mission and the purpose and the strategies of Jesus, when we get that right, Jesus himself said, so that the world will believe that you sent me. We become the reason that people believe. But when we don't get this right, 
and this is the sad part, without even meaning to, we can become the reason that people don't believe. Because when we get sidetracked from the mission of Jesus, thank God it doesn't happen in this church or hasn't that I know of, but it happens in lots of churches When we get sidetracked from the mission of Jesus, we can fight over the color of the carpet in the auditorium. We can fight over, are we going to recite the Lord's Prayer in this part of the service, that part of the service, or in none of the service? We can fight over, what kind of dress code should there be for people on the stage? We can fight over, what kind of music are we going to have? When we get distracted from the one and only mission in the world that Jesus cares about. And it might be a revelation, but he actually does not care about the color of the carpet in the auditorium. He really doesn't. He doesn't even care if you have it. Yeah. It's the mission of rescuing broken and lost people that counts. So now, about 30 years later, God inspired a guy by the name of Paul to just sort of lay this out for us. And we're going to take a a quick cruise through how he lays it out. So Paul writes this and says, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. Do you see unity in that? Of course, it's in there. And he's going to follow this with seven different... That's seven, yes. Seven different ones. And here's how he goes. For there is one body, and we're going to stop right there for just a minute, because this is the word picture that Paul is later going to pick up and illustrate for us how all these ones work together. So he starts out by saying, there is one body. And what he's actually saying is that the church, that you and I are actually the living breathing, functioning body of Jesus on the face of planet earth. We are Jesus in the flesh. It's why a few weeks ago I said to us, let's not be the church that just studies about Jesus. Let's be the church that is Jesus to the world. He goes on to say, there's one spirit just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and what's that last thing? Living through all. That's how you and I can be the living, breathing, functioning body of Jesus. But if we're going to be the living, breathing, functioning body of Jesus, then we're going to have to be about his mission. Correct? with singleness of heart and singleness of purpose and singleness of strategy around that. Now, he goes on to say this. Well, before we get to that, what that means is that the closest anyone will ever get, any of your neighbors, any of your friends, the closest they will ever get to being in the physical presence of Jesus is when they're in a local church that is actually functioning like the body of Jesus. Friends, that's our goal. Remember I said we're going to peel the onion all the way back to the very core? This is the core. This is where it all begins. That you and I would dare to believe that we could be 
Jesus to the world. We could be Jesus to each other. That we could be Jesus when we're in the lobby. That we could be Jesus when we're at Safeway. And maybe the biggest challenge of all, that we could be Jesus when we're driving. (laughs) What we're talking about here is unity. It's the power of unity. It's what Margaret Mead said. When a group, uh, a small group of, of committed and thoughtful citizens come together in unity, they literally can change the world. Wow. But it actually, there's another dimension to this unity that makes it so dynamic. And that's where Paul turns his attention to next. And we would be remiss if we didn't understand how this works. So he goes on to say, however. And any time someone says however, it means I've been talking about this, and now I'm going to talk about this. So what's the however? Here's the however. Paul wants us to know that being unified is not the same as uniformity. It's not that we're all the same. We are unified, but what actually gives power to our unity is that we are unified even though we're all different, even though we're all not the same. And so he starts to, he starts to turn his attention toward this and he writes this. However, he, that is Jesus, has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Wow. A special gift. Here's what, it, here's what that is. That gift is something that God places in each of us that gives us the desire and the ability to serve in the mission of Christ in a very specialized and individual way. Wow. So part of God's grand design for his kingdom on this earth is that when any person decides to say, Hey, put me in, coach. When any person decides, I want to follow Jesus with my life. When any person decides, I want to be part of the greatest thing on planet earth. I want to be part of the mission of Jesus. That Jesus himself. Think about that for a minute. Jesus himself focuses his attention on that person. Knowing their background knowing their natural gifts and talents, knowing their personality type, knowing the full history of all their experiences, Jesus crafts a special gift that is personally designed for you. And he puts it in your heart. And it begins to create a desire and a willingness And the ability to step into a role in his kingdom that you were made for. Wow. He goes on a little bit later in this passage to show how this all works. And he begins to talk about leaders. And he says leaders, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. So as a church... What are we supposed to be doing? God's work, right? That's our job. 
That's where we find that singleness of purpose. And to build up the church, which is the what? The body of Jesus, the living, breathing, functioning body of Jesus. This is where he starts to, to transition this word picture into how a human body works. He goes on to say that Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Huh. It helps the other parts grow. Before I break that out, I want to go back to something we said earlier. It's all of our responsibility to love and empower the coming generation. You know what we're doing? We're helping the other parts grow. You get it? That's how that's supposed to work. Now, I know you have this experience. You're doing something and you bang up a finger and that finger really hurts. You may have cut it and you got stitches, may have smashed it with a hammer. It, it, it doesn't really make it. You may have shut it in a car door, but you've got a finger and it does not work. And so you splint the thing up, you put a Band-Aid on it, and then you go to tie your shoes. That's hard, huh? And the whole time you're tying your shoes for the next several days while your finger is healing, you're thinking, I will be so glad when that finger can get back and do its job. Because this is painful and it's very inconvenient. Now go back and look at this. Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Jesus gave you fingers to help you tie your shoes. Okay? It's why your dog and your cat do not wear shoes. It's not practical for them unless you're willing to tie them every day. Yeah, they can't, they can't do that. He gave you fingers so you can do the things that you should be doing. And your body is this amazing group of members that works together in unity. And when your body is working like it's supposed to be working, it can do absolutely amazing things that no machine in the world could even dream of doing, right? Yeah. Now Jesus said, uh, Paul said, let's take that same analogy and let's put that on the body of Christ, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly so that as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. And then he goes on to say this, so the whole body is healthy and it's growing and it's full of love. Don't you love being part of a church where that's the case? It's healthy, it's growing, and it's full of love. That's why I come here. That's why I'm part of a community group. Yeah. It's why this is the most important thing in my life. Now he goes on to say, this will continue, and I love this word picture, until we're all moving rhythmically and easy with each other. And what's the next word? Efficient. There's no sideways energy. There, there, there's, there's no, well, I think we ought to do it this way, or I think we ought to do it that way. We all get united around the singleness of purpose and mission and strategy and and then we can become efficient and graceful. Wow. Filled with grace. And how does this all happen? Do we get a bunch of really smart people who sit in a room and draw pictures and decide what the church should do? No, no. 
We actually pray. Friends, this is why we're inviting you to 40 days of prayer. As we unveil what God is leading us to, as we unveil it over the rest of this year. Because it's not in response to a bunch of wise people. Look at it. It's in response to God's Son. When the church gets united around the purposes of Jesus and its leaders get on their knees and they hear from Jesus and its people get on their knees and they hear from Jesus that amazing things take place. Listen, 40 days of prayer. Do you think that was my idea? I'd love to steal it. But it wasn't my idea. No, I wouldn't love to steal it. But it's not my idea. You know where that idea came from? That idea came from a single community group in our church who heard from God that if we're going to unveil these things in the coming year, we ought to do that from a platform of prayer. Does that impress you? Let's hear it for that group that they heard from God. And they brought that to the leaders. And we heard the voice of Jesus in that. And we responded to that so that we were moving rhythmically and easily together. And then we'll become fully mature adults. Fully developed within and without. Fully alive. What are the last two words? Like Christ. Wow. That's when we become the living, moving, breathing, functioning body of Jesus. So Paul started out talking about unity. And now he's talking about diversity. Wow. We are one. But we are diverse. Diverse in generations. Diverse in genders. Diverse in ethnicity, diverse in socioeconomic status, diverse in education. But we are one around the mission of Jesus. Now, look at this. When unity and diversity converge, they form the sweet spot of human experience. Don't you know that to be true? Everything, yes, everything you've ever been part of that you loved being part of, it was because not everybody in there was exactly like you. It's when unity and diversity converge. By the way, have you heard that opposites attract? Did you know there's a book that says irreconcilable differences grounds for a great marriage? Yeah. Yeah. Because what we love is actually not uniformity where everybody's the same. What we actually love and when our spirits thrive is when we are drawn together in unity, though we are so diverse. That is Jesus' picture of a church. Would you like the church to be one giant eyeball? Would you like your body to be one giant eyeball? No, you need all the members. Now look at this. When unity and diversity converge and are infused with the mission and the presence of Jesus, that's what the church is. They form the sweet spot of human history and eternity. 
But there's a big question hanging in the air. I get this thing about the church being the body and that Jesus actually lives and breathes and moves through the church. But the big question is this. Will he choose to do that through me? Hmm. I want to close with a prayer. That the same guy who wrote this passage about unity and diversity, I want to close with a prayer that he prayed. And it's a prayer, I think, for all of us. And here's how it goes. I pray that you can see, you can sense, you can see with your eyes exactly what he is calling you to do. That's that singleness of purpose around the mission of Jesus. And that you can grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life. That you can grasp what it's like to actually step into your role in this body of Jesus and that you can be that finger that helps tie the church's shoe or whatever it is that you will do, that you can step into that role. And as we lay this stuff out for us across the face of the rest of this year, that you can find your place of service in the body of Jesus so that you can begin to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life. And look at this. That he has for his followers and the utter extravagance of his work where? In us. Who trust him. So, as one of the pastors of this church, here's what I would say. Get in the game. Have the put me in coach kind of attitude. Be part of the context in which people encounter Jesus and have their lives changed forever across the face of the rest of this year. I want to do everything in my power to encourage you to step out of being a spectator and step into being a participator where you actually don't just get to receive what the church is. You get to be part of doing that for somebody else. Did you know that outside of raising your kids and grandkids, the local church is the absolute best investment of your life? There's nothing greater. There's nothing you can do that will last forever other than this. So outside of raising your own kids and grandkids, it's the best investment you can make in your life. I would say this, be somebody in this body to somebody. You know, I saw a statement the other day. It says, you might be just one person in the world, but you could end up being the world to just one person. Be somebody in this body for somebody. And here's the promise that God makes, and I would second it. You'll be glad you did. It's the best investment you could ever make with your life. So we have three simple action statements, uh, steps for us to take. And the first is, choose your own adventure. The people from our next-gen strategies have put together a choose-your-own-adventure thing, and it involves you, this piece of paper, and a crayon. How about that? (laughs) So you get to be a kid again. And I know we talk about the coming generation. It's really easy for us to just sort of fall into thinking, 
well, if I knew how to tell stories and I knew how to sit Indian style and I knew how to wipe snotty-nosed kids, I could probably do that. Did you know that in our next-gen strategies, this is birth through 18, actually, yeah, it will work for all of that. Did you know there are at least, no, there are more than this, but on this paper, 18 different positions that we will need people to step into in order to be that efficient body of Jesus. And only one of them includes telling stories. 17 other positions that don't include having to sit Indian style and wipe snotty noses. Yeah. Okay? So... They're going to give you a crayon, and they're going to give you 36 different uh, terms that will describe you. Some of them will describe you, and some of, some of them you'll go, nope, that is not me. But by taking your crayon and going from every one of those things that does describe you, there's a little trail that goes to a position in our next-gen strategies. And when you see where all of your paths converge, then you will be finding your sweet spot. That's why it's called choose your own adventure. So that's the first thing. Secondly, pray. by the way, you go out in the lobby. There's a kiosk there. They have a bazillion of those to hand out. Grab your crayon and find out something about yourself, all right? That will be way fun. Secondly, pray about your role. As we unveil the other three, there will be places and positions for people to serve in those things too. So just start praying about, hey, God, show me where you want me to step into. Show me what my role is, something other than just showing up. And then last of all, next Sunday, we are going to start a brand new series called The Bible for Grownups. Okay? And I want to pique your interest just a little bit. Because next Sunday we're going to talk about how we got our Bibles is not how we got the Bible. Okay? The Bible for grown-ups, it's going to be an amazingly challenging and insightful series. And I want to invite you back for that. I want to pray for us and then I'm going to turn it back over to Diva. God, thank you. Thank you that we are your kids and that we have been invited to be part of the living, breathing, functioning body of Christ. Would you help us to step into that with all of our hearts and experience the fullness of what that might mean? I pray in Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.